Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 92 of the F1 show for coverage of the... I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And uh, yeah, that was the European Grand Prix from Valencia. Um, it has been noted as the worst circuit ever. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, I mean, we, we just watched the race, and normally, you know, it's, like, exciting. You get together, you watch the race, you're like, oh, yeah, let's see how what happened. We weren't expecting an amazing race, but there was, I mean, there was one incident the whole day, which we'll right. talk about. And there was some passes because of DRS, but nothing, like, exciting, really. Nothing you couldn't really see coming, and nothing, you know. Nothing to just, keep you awake, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Uh, but, of course, there was a lot of action things leading up to the weekend and leading up to the race itself. Um, lots of news um, regarding engine rules uh, for the future and engine mapping rules for the present. All kinds of neat things that we can talk about that we're going to um, as opposed to the races. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for for the race, um, Sebastian Vettel... Had a pole position. He, you know, except for a few laps during pit stop cycles, essentially led every lap of the race. Uh-huh. Went on to win it in a fairly dominant fashion. I think they said he won a hat with a trick in it. Yeah, with that's, uh, that's neat. Pole that's position. Cool. That's something. Fastest lap and race victory. Um, and then, and then it was actually uh, not another Red Bull on the on the second step of the podium. In this case, um, it was Fernando Alonso. Um, just, How about that? You know, Ferrari's getting some getting some speed, and and uh, Weber actually said he thought it was he thought it was his own fault that he didn't have second spot. Uh, he said you know it wasn't really that that Alonso was amazing or whatever, but just that you know he he just made some errors. Um, and the race actually, I mean, it did fly, kind of fly by. You know, it wasn't exciting, but it didn't last all that yeah, long. Yeah, it was only an hour and thirty eight minutes long or something like that. But it it's still. I mean, after it, a four hour monster from Montreal, you know, I guess it, 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 it's just something about that race that's terrible. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it it well, okay. So fundamentally, it's a narrow track. There's not much opportunity for passing, but unlike Monaco. There's also no elevation change. There's 25 corners and three and a half miles, and there's nothing terribly interesting about it. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's just there is a bridge that goes a, that goes over the harbor, and the first time you see that, you're like, "Oh, that's cool. They're going over that bridge," and then the novelty wears off, and then there's just kind of a, a parade going on. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, pretty much we're we're preaching to the choir. I mean, we we scan through Facebook and and you know. I don't think there's many people that would be like, I disagree. Valencia is amazing. Like, this is clearly not the most exciting race on the calendar. And uh, poor Spain. I'm sure there's exciting racetracks in Spain. But uh, the ones on the F1 calendar don't seem to cut it. But especially Valencia. There's just something about it that puts me right to sleep. And it's a shame. Uh, you know, we saw, we saw Button was extremely happy for the win. He raced extremely well. Um, and we saw some, you know, minorly, you know, interesting results heading down the down the line. There was, um, you know, the McLaren seemed to be genuinely the third fastest car at, at this weekend, not the um, fastest car in race pace, or at least the second best to Red Bull. Um, Ferrari showed a little bit stronger. Um, Massa didn't quite have the finishing results, but he definitely showed some real pace, had a fantastic start. Um, but, you know, Alonso ended up second. 
Weber third, uh, Hamilton was fourth, and I do believe um, Massa was fifth, which certainly isn't bad, and then Jensen Button finished sixth. Uh, Rosberg was seventh, and uh, boy, eighth is eluding me a little bit. Jaime Algeshwari uh, in that's a good right, run the from the STR, and then Sutil and Heidfeld. And other than... <laughs> Other than uh, our American announcers' amazement at the quickness of the pit stops. And not just the pit stops, every single <laughs> every pit single stop. One. They were just ex- 3.8 seconds! Oh, yeah. And that wasn't even the fastest one. And no, 3.3 3 seconds! 3.2, there was one. I mean, and that's a great pit stop. No one's denying that that's a great pit stop. But after, like, like number 15. The 30th time yeah. you hear that, it just gets a little old. So, <clears throat> anyway. Well, okay, so the one, the one bit of drama was uh, with Michael Schumacher leaving the pits, um, and it, I guess it kind of depends how you want to describe it, coming, uh, Vitaly Petrov was on the racing line, it was in turn two in the track, and, uh, you know, Vitaly was just sort of doing, it, doing his line, and, and all of a sudden Schumacher was kind of there at the apex, I guess is the simplest way yeah. to, to describe it. Um, Schumacher has actually said, you know, he says it's his fault uh, that he should have been on the brakes earlier, but by the time he kind of saw him coming and sort of saw what was going on, he was hard on the brakes and tried to just get around inside in the corner, but right. didn't have the grip to do so. And, you know, Petrov, I guess, just sort of wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't quite there. So, uh, I mean, Schumacher says it's his own fault. I, yeah. I guess as you're exiting the pits, you should, you know, respect the guy that's already there driving yeah. his line. Uh, so that but it certainly wasn't anything flagrant that Schumacher did. Right. And it certainly wasn't anything, you know, wildly out of bounds of what could happen. I mean, he yeah. was just yeah. trying to get back onto the track, which is why I don't think we ever heard anything about penalties mm-hmm. or anything about that. Maybe there was, but they just cut it out of the Fox coverage. I don't know. No stewards, investigations. And it certainly didn't uh, didn't benefit him either because it actually broke his front wing and it's right at the exit of the pit. I mean, it's the very beginning of the racetrack. So he had to do a complete lap around the track. He did actually make a pass on a Force India yeah, yeah. <laughs> as part of that that limp back to the pit, uh, but then had to go in and get a new nose and the whole rest of the field streamed by. So he was like 22nd and, uh, right. Yeah. And still made up some positions, ended up 17th, but yeah, just definitely a disappointing day. But leading up until that point, I, you know, Schumacher, it's weird to do it this way, but he's like, he's getting closer to Rosberg and it seems a little bit odd to be like Schumacher's getting close to Rosberg, which, you know, you should see, it should seem it'd be the complete other way around where Rosberg's trying to chase Schumacher, but it just isn't the case anymore. Uh, I mean, once you get to your 40s and you've been doing this long enough, I, th- I, d- I do genuinely think it gets harder, especially taking three years off. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that he does seem to be regaining some of the gap that he that Rosberg had. And so th- he's becoming more competitive, getting a little bit more comfortable in his situation and stuff like that. So uh, that's good to see. I actually like seeing Schumacher quick. It's actually fun. Since he's not this, you know, robotic, unemotional, uh, you know, robot of a driver yeah. leading everything anymore. It, you know, it's actually nice to see the guy do well because he is, he's got so many records and so many things, but he is, you know, struggling. So when you see anyone struggling, he's almost an underdog in a bizarre way, you know? Yeah, he certainly, I, th- I think he really is. Uh, it, you know, like we're excited to see him do well. Like, oh, good on you, Michael. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Way to get exactly. some results there. He's still got it, maybe. <laughs> a little. A little bit. So, 
Uh, but God, yeah. I mean, so we're starting with the end here with the race. I mean, but well, it, it just is to get it out of the way because that's not the exciting part. It really is. I guess the other the other note about this race is for the second time ever, someone finished twenty fourth in a Grand Prix. Uh, in this case, it was Narain Karthikeyan, but no one, no no car failures, no crashes. Well, the, the one well, crash the, was Schumacher. The but, Schumacher's wing was the no, no exception. No yeah. day ending crashes. Uh, so in stark contrast to. Canada, with it, which was which was long, race delayed, like record safety cars, all kinds of passes, all kinds of crashes. It was sort of none of that. Right. So the good news is that in two weeks' time we have Silverstone, which is good for many, many reasons, not the least of which is fish and chips, which is always awesome, always fantastic. I am currently on a low-carb diet. I'm going to take a break from that diet and have... Lots of carbs. Because neither fish, fried fish nor chips are <laughs> no, low-carb. No on carbs. But they are both nor, delicious. Nor is the beer and or hard cider that we're going to drink with it, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, of course, there is a taste of the race at every race, not just Britain. And, of course, we uh, honored that time-honored tradition with food I'm sure ha- Spain has. I'm sure people in Spain will eat tasty Lebanese food. Of course. Um, so that's what we did. That's what we did. In honor of the, the, the multicultural, you know, vast, um, you know, uh, avant-garde let's, let's just society that That's... is Spain. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's what we did. We, we're trying to be respectful. Yeah. That, that, anyway. Um, so as, as this race was starting, um, it, it was... You know, because Canada was just so out of out of the ordinary with the rain and safety cars and all that. Um, I, I do kind of like, I'd say, the way they do the DRS zones or the, the Z- DRS timing, um, where the race starts and there's usually some, you know, lots of jostling for position. There's usually some little incidents or whatever. In this case, it was actually all clean. Um, and then, it, you know, once it sort of settles down after two laps, normally there's, you know, kind of a lull and people are starting to separate, figure out their pace and all that until the first round of pit stops. But the DRS being enabled after two laps sort of keeps that energy going a little bit, I guess. It's sort of, it's like, okay, we're settled down. Everyone's, you know, jostled away and, yeah. and here we are at our positions. Oh, and now here's another variable. You know, can these guys get right. me to the second? Who, what's going to start happening once we get the wings and uh, the, 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 the hit the durs and all that? Right. Uh, and so I, I did kind of like that, and it's, uh, you know, just, I guess, a, a 2011 F1 thing. It's just kind of the, the, the timing of it. Um, in this case, we did have two DRS zones. Um, it didn't uh, behave. I mean, it didn't give drastically well, different results them, than the one. One of them was in a pretty curvy area, actually. I mean, it's straight enough that they don't need full downforce to be flat out, which is one of the reasons why they did DRS zone. But it's curvy enough that you want one line through there, pretty much. So it's definitely that zone is much more of a catch-up zone than it is a passing zone. It seemed to me, at least. Um, but yeah, it, it 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 certainly you know the passes we did see were for second. The best scrap of the race really was between Weber and Alonso. A couple of times they exchanged uh, exchanged positions, um, and certainly the Durs helped. I still fundamentally don't like Durs. It's still a band-aid fix to me, and it still seems. Like, I would still much rather have cars that inherently you can pass with so that if you're truly faster and truly make a good move, you get the pass. Because Durs almost seems like it's not a gimme, but it's definitely big advantage passing driver. Yeah, and it's kind of a video gamey kind of turbo boost push to pass. And it's like you say, it's not that simple, but it it is a little bit weird and technical, and it's not just 
here's this car and this driver, and here's how good he is, and this other guy's a little bit better, so he's going to get around. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, just the way these cars are with downforce and everything, it's, uh, you know, how do you make it so that, make it easier to pass so that it just works? Uh, because, you know, they tried lots of other stuff, and there were some, you know, prototype designs with a split rear wing where it would have a section on the left and right and nothing in the middle to try to get the arrow be to the right. car behind uh -huh. it. It just, at that... I mean, we thought the, what was it, 09? We went to the tall wings. We yeah. thought those cars were ugly, um, which is what we're left with now and what we're sort of used to. Uh, but that was hideous. The yes. split, re I mean, let's let's not go there. Yes. <laughs> well, again, I mean, you could make a lot more of the downforce underneath the car, and you can make a lot more of the grip with mechanical grip with the tire. Um, you know, maybe do it that way more than, you know, the being super sensitive to the wings up above. But who knows? Um so, is it a good time to move back in time now a little bit? Well, Pre-race? I think, sure. Go for it. Okay. The thing that was kind of most exciting leading up to this was, well, well, there's kind of two. But I guess really the big one is the engine rules for now 2014 uh, brings us the resolution. But there was a big debate about the proposed 2013 engine rule changes. Um, going to a turbocharged four-cylinder engine with a maximum RPM of 12,000 and then using um, energy recovery systems. They take the Kerr off. It doesn't necessarily have to be kinetic, I suppose, uh, but they called it ERS, um, in the at least in the document I read. But basically, a What other kind of energy are they going to be recovering? I don't know. Are potential. They collecting they're heat? Just gonna, they're all going to jump off cliffs periodically through the, uh, okay. through the uh, race. Anyway. Hit some kind earth. of some kind of energy recovery system and a four cylinder turbocharged engine up to twelve thousand rpm um, first you know Renault came out for it saying they want the engine changed, but then Ferrari came out against it, then Cosworth came out against it, and then I believe Mercedes came out against it as well, so it was basically three out of four engine manufacturers said we don't like this idea. They went and they had a big conference on somebody's yacht, most likely meeting on a yacht and and uh, basically hashed out, which I think is a much, much better plan. Um, in general, Facebook, uh, F1 Show Facebook fans tend to agree with us. Uh, turbocharged, twin turbocharged V6 engines, and again with the uh, energy recovery systems. And that's going to be implemented in 2014, not 2013. So why is that better? It's better because V6s are too better than uh, four-cylinders for obvious reasons. And it's two turbochargers instead of one. That's obviously better. That's one more of those. And it's another year with the V8s, which is cost savings, gives them more time to develop, more time to hash out exactly how they want to do this. Plus, I didn't read anything about a 12,000 RPM limiter, which I thought was the worst part by far. Okay. I mean, a, a lot of people were sort of, oh, who wants F1 if it's four-cylinder engines and all that? And I think some people sort of forgetting that the most powerful F1 engines ever were turbo four-cylinders, that they would crank up to like 1,200 to 1,500 RPM for qualifying and all that. I mean, oh, you mean horsepower? Yeah, the RPM. Yeah. 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 You know, crazy amounts of horsepower out of a four-cylinder. Can you imagine? It's at 1,500 RPM. <laughs> that's the sound yeah. it would make. I don't know how that's going to come across. <laughs> through your earbuds <laughs> but so, that's the sound it makes trust Ra me Robert just gave you all raspberries in your ears it was a perfect perfect example okay uh, so you can make a what can, you know a gobs of power it can sound cool and you can have you know a 
a sweet race car built around a four-cylinder, uh, you know, turbo engine. Uh, I think for the marketing side of it and kind of the road car for Ferrari and Mercedes, really, uh, you know, they, you know, Renault is probably like, yeah, we sell lots of four-cylinders. That's all great. But, you know, Ferrari sort of, you know, promoting, oh, we are F1 four-cylinder technology, which right. has nothing to do with anything in our cars. I think, you know, for them, at least a, a twin-turbo V6, Maybe they could put something like that in one of their road cars. Um, Mercedes certainly could. Uh, you know, they've got lots of different options. Sure. Um, and I guess, you know, just sort of symmetrically and, and balance-wise and so on, I mean, it seems like the way the chassis are designed with the engine is, a, is an integral part of that. Having a symmetrical V engine uh, does make a bit of sense uh, rather than having, you know, the four-cylinder arrangement. But, um, you know, I wasn't really against the four-cylinders, uh, and I'm personally all about as diverse as it can be. I think it'd be great if we had uh, well, you that know, all-wheel drive cars and front drive. Not again, front drive, but, I mean, know. that I believe, you know, a lot of people agree that that is the, all, that's the, uh, you know, holy grail. Because what, what if a tiny V12 is like the perfect right. th- with three turbos and a supercharger? Well, according to uh, Adrian Newey and uh, Sony with the Gran Turismo 5, the V6 is the ideal solution in terms of packaging slash power slash everything else. But uh, for me, the four cylinders wasn't the main issue. The main issues was 12,000 RPM. You know, we had that with a, um, Indy for a while where they were governed at like 10.5 or 11 or something like that. And, it, you know, here, here's, here's a great way to look at it. Nextel Cup, or sorry, Sprint Cup, those V8s, which are, I think, 5.9 liters or something like that. They're big. NASCAR stock cars we're talking. You're right. Those things rev to 9,500 RPM. Now, a big, rapturous carbureted V8 at 9,500 RPM, that sounds insane. A four-cylinder at 9,500 RPM sounds like your leaf blower. So there is a... Or a sport bike. I mean, you know. Ish, ish. It's not the same. I mean, so if we had turbocharged up the Wazoo uh, 1,200 horsepower four-cylinders, I, I don't think you'd hear a lot less complain, but those things wouldn't be 12,000 RPMs. Those would be, you know, higher. Okay. They'd be melting things. Yeah, which was cool. And not to say that we would necessarily, we, I mean, we wouldn't have 1,200 horsepower monsters, but... I mean, they were targeting 450 horsepower out of the engine. I mean, think about that number. I mean, we've got... Well, I don't think the fact that they're going to twin turbo V6s means they're suddenly going to be at 1,200 horsepower again. I mean, I, no, they're all going to be on the so, same. They're going to be the engine's clearly going to be the engine's clearly going to be more capable. It, it, it's clearly going to be more. I mean, capable. but they can still limit revs and air and turbo pressure and everything that's, to that's, make it. That's fair, but at the moment, that's out. That you know, I haven't read anything about 12,000 RPM in the last week. That's the good. That's the good news. All right, so, for me. Yeah, well, and so you know, I, I'm not against the twin turbo V6 either. I think that's that's going to be a cool packaging decision, and uh, I mean, certainly more applicable to road cars. Uh, with, I mean, Ford is huge on EcoBoost V6s, right? Yep. Twin turbo V6s, and uh, you know, maybe this is what they want to get uh, get back in F1 and get their that, Ford that, EcoBoost powered, for. whatever. Yeah. Uh, probably not, but hey, one one never knows, right? But and also 2014, you know, three years, uh, just. If it's something where the manufacturers themselves have buy-in, it's a lot more likely to go smoothly, right? Like, why, <clears throat> why do something? Why force something down the team's throat? If you give them another year, they're way more amenable to to the rule change. To me, yeah. that makes more sense. You know, we, plus we can also add to that that 2.4 liter V8s have been serving us well. 
Yeah, I mean, I remember when they went to freeze the engine rigs as part of cost coving and like oh, late oh eight, oh nine, and all that. And it, I mean, it was more exciting. I think having different engines that were diff- good in different ways, uh, you know, really good launches, really good high speed stuff, whatever. Um, and and having the developments, which sometimes meant spectacular failure, sometimes meant moves forward and back and around. Uh, I mean, I thought that was cool, kind of just engineering wise. Um, and, you know, we haven't had any, we, our engines haven't changed in forever. It's not, I mean, they're, they're still brilliant races, but uh, I guess part of the, just kind of the development and what's cool about it uh, has has gone away without, you know, continuous improvement in the engine arena. And it's just kind of the same engine we've been using for three years is going to be another another three years. It's just, I don't know, at that point, road car technology will be pretty far ahead of F1 unless they do magical things with twin turbo V6s and from there forward. Well, th- fair enough. I, I think I, I wasn't a fan of the engine freeze either, but if the engine freeze is going to be there until 2013 and make all the manufacturers mad, might as well be there till 2014 and they are a lot happier and uh, hopefully, you know, we can have some interesting engines come out a- as a result. Do you know what I mean? Like, that that's kind of the way I see it. Uh, you know, when, you know, certainly there's something lost when the technology side kind of, just like you say, falls behind the road cars in many ways. I mean, road cars these days, they have dual clutch transmissions, they have launch control, they have flexible wings, they have all kinds of trick aero bits that are outlawed in Formula One. You know, in many ways, they're already... ABS. <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, but I mean, in a lot of ways, Formula One's fallen behind. Uh, but in other ways, it's still way ahead. And ultimately, you know, if the technology is wondrous and ahead of its time, but the racing is terrible, then that's worse, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you have to choose between one or the other, I choose good racing. For a while there, we had, we, I think we had both. I mean, 05, 06, when uh, Alonso went on to his victories, that wasn't just because you had a technically better car. There was some brilliant driving going on. I think it was good racing. Yeah. And, you know, it's just fewer, you know, that, that was also before we had Valencia on the calendar. <laughs> How <laughs> just to, about that? To tie it back into uh, to today's race. Uh, one of the other stories I wanted to mention about this weekend was the clarification or change of, of rules. Um, there's there's two parts to this. The first one is that now uh, all, the, all the teams have to use the same engine mapping for the start of Q1 up until the start of the race. And, and that is how aggressive is the fuel strategy, uh, you know, throttle settings and, uh, not, uh, you know, just kind of, I guess, how quickly, how, right. how the engine is using fuel at different, different RPMs. Right. Theoretically, and, if you wanted to, you could plug a laptop into the car and change the mapping in your first pit stop. Yeah, whenever you once the race is on, you have the opportunity to do that. No one did that. Hmm. We wouldn't have had 3.2 second uh, pit stops if anyone did. And, you know... There, that was an unlikely scenario anyway, but it was technically possible uh, to. But the you know word on the street was that's part of how Red Bull had such amazing qualifying performance, but then wasn't always quite as dominant in the races. Uh, was that they had this really aggressive engine map that worked in qualifying, and then before the race they'd switch it back to a little more conservative. So the the thought was that they would be brought back, maybe in line with everyone else, and I guess they were. A little bit. I mean, there was a Ferrari that split the difference, but yeah. in qualifying, I mean, Vettel, Vettel, Vettel owned still, it. Yeah, he still had a four tenths, four tenths gap to uh, second place qualifiers. So, with no, it was about two and a half tenths to Weber, and then it was four tenths to the first non Red Bull. Yeah. in qualifying, 
Because Weber went out for his second run in qualifying right, and got closer, and but at first closer. he had, you know, yeah, yeah exactly. six so, or something. Uh, clearly not a revolutionary rule change, but an interesting one nonetheless. I think in terms of, like, the philosophy of the rule change, I have nothing against it in terms of, well, if the cars are supposed to be frozen for qualifying into the race, I would assume that engine mapping would be part of it. So, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, I have no issue with it. It the What's coming up uh, next race in Silverstone, which I'm assuming we're going to get to very soon, that's a little bit harder because that could also be a clarification of the rules, not necessarily a rule change, but they've been allowing it to happen for basically, effectively the first half of the season. Yeah. And it's a pretty significant change that so, I don't know if that... Well, we'll talk about that, in just, but just to wrap up on the, on the ECU mapping. Okay. So with uh, F1 cars, just like road cars and, and lots of technology these days, they already have you know, a f- certain number of sensors and they've got a lot of data and a lot of different, uh, you know, just a lot of it is just electronically controlled. So all of the, the brilliance and the settings and the last few tenths and last hundreds and thousands are done in software. It's really fancy diff controls and it would be launch controls or ABS or all these different developments if we could have them. Uh, and now we're getting that, I guess, with DRS. It's a simple system, but um, it's so... Yeah, I agree that uh, making the car effectively the same from qualifying to racing should cover software, except that it's a little bit arbitrary because a driver does have control over differential settings and some fuel use. Uh, You know, they still have control over not the specific control of engine mapping for what happens when you're off the throttle and some of that stuff, but um, just... You know, so you know how much fuel it uses, different fuel saving modes, and things like that. So at some point, it becomes a little bit arbitrary. Like, is the car does it have to be exactly the same from what you qualify and how you start your race, or is it you can change some things, you can't change some other things, and uh, and how does it go there? So that's the only sort of qualm I have, I guess, with it is that it's a little bit like it, it's not, there's not a logical divide for it. these are things that you can change, these are things that you can't change, um, but. They they've changed it mid season, which is a little bit bizarre. And the the other the other big change is the the change in the blown diffusers that uh, like you're talking about that starts in two weeks at Silverstone. Right, and this one I have a little bit of a harder time with because if it's a clarification of the rules and so on and so forth, why do they take their sweet time to you know enforce it? And if it's a change in the rules, why would you change it mid season? It seems a little bit a little bit. Uh, misdirected, I guess, is the way to say it. But I guess the the point is really, since it's now going to happen, is what is the effect going to be? Yeah, because we're not the ones that get to say whether it happens or not. Uh, so, I mean, the closest parallel to this, I think, would be the original blown diffuser debate uh, from '09 with, you know, the, the Braun GP cars just, just running away and, and doing brilliantly with it. Um, and and how they, you know, they didn't change that until the end of the year, and then everyone had, you know, new cars and new stuff. Right. Um, right. And then, and then, of course, Braun got absorbed into Mercedes and blah blah blah, and they, you know, never, uh, they haven't, haven't had a win since then, and uh, obviously haven't had uh, much the, what you would call dominance. Um, so, I mean, I, you wonder how much of it is just seeing how successful Red Bull or specifically Sebastian Vettel is running away with the championship and thinking, you know, our ratings are better and the races are more attended if. Somebody doesn't clinch the you know the drivers' championship five races from the end of the season. Uh-huh. The last few seasons, obviously, we've had results that couldn't be closer. I mean, right. actually, from '07 on, yeah, actually, you know, well, down- not true. '07, '09, '09 and '10, '07, '08 
were were super close. Yeah. Oh uh, nine, oh nine wasn't as close, but it was the second to last race. Mm-hmm. And then last year was the last race. It was definitely down to the wire. And you know, situations where it was the same number of points and went to wins and went to everything. I mean, yeah, very, very, very close. So, I mean, I wonder if it is a little bit reactionary to that to say, you know, in a business sense, and maybe it's a bit cynical to think so. Uh, but I think Red Bull is kind of positing that, like, oh, they're changing it in the middle of the season, and we'll deal with it, and we'll still be okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, what what are your thoughts? I guess on the on the effects of it, though. Well, uh, the, the big question really is uh, is it's going to affect Red Bull more than it's going to affect anybody else. Because one of the big questions is, how is the Red Bull so fast? And one of the thoughts is, is that Red Bull has between, you know, Adrian Newey's often mentioned brilliance and, you know, their engine trickery have uh, gotten more uh, benefit from the blown diffuser during off-throttle than the other teams. Possibly true. Um, the other way to look at it could be, because I've read a couple of articles saying that Weber tended to be better than Vettel in making use of the blown diffuser before they had the exhaust gas blowing so that it was a constant blow, mm-hmm. even when you were off-throttle. That it was o- When it was only blown when you were on throttle, that Weber tended to make better use of that than Vettel. And that was part of the reason why the two of them ended up being so close is because Vettel has this inherent ability to just enter quarters faster than anything. But Weber had an ability to get on the throttle a little bit sooner because of this mid-corner ability to fill out the blown diffuserness. That's just something I read. Uh, there's nothing in that makes me, you know, completely disagree with it. So it could be that it does, it does, uh, it draw out Vettel's very minor slight weakness a little bit and play to Weber's advantage, which effectively means that it would tighten up the top of the field a little bit. That's possible. But it's also possible that Vettel now is a better driver than Vettel a year ago with the confidence he has gained from the championship, with the poise he's been able to display, with the fact that he has been on the podium every single race this year never lower than second, that it might simply not matter. In terms of car's performance, one car to another, I was, I was curious about this, you know, I was curious about this one engine mapping change qualifying the race. That didn't seem to have much of an effect. So after this race result, I'm kind of convinced that it's not going to drop Red Bull down a peg. Or anything like that. Yeah, and I think as you and I were sort of talking about, in some ways with these regulations, it's it's fun to sort of read into, oh, this is going to knock these guys down. It's going to upset the balance of power. We're going to have Force India's winning races. Right. But no, in in a lot of ways, you know, the more these things change, the more they stay the same. I, I think I'm with you. There may be a, a little bit of a reshuffling, but I don't I don't think it's going to be enough to matter. Right. You know, like today however close qualifying was in the Ferraris and all that, I mean, Vettel still dominated the race. Right. There was not really any question of that. Um, you know, Weber, like you said, kind of had a mistake, and Alonso was there to capitalize on it, so maybe it's a little bit closer. Yeah. But not nothing drastic, and I don't think that the the Red Bull is or could be as successful as it is because it's got some trick 
It's not that it's oh, it's really not that good, except we've got this magic thing right. that makes it faster. And oh, I'll, flexible front wings. Yeah, that, there's that. It's obviously thing. flexible front wings. <laughs> oh no, it's obviously this Q map they're running. Oh no, it's obviously they, they're blown diffuser. You know, it's 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 all of those things are or right. can run without that. I think there's there's so much to it. Um, so I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. But uh, it is, you know, it's I guess. With the races like this, uh, you know, this is all we have to talk about is kind of you know, just <laughs> well, the, the, the technical changes and, and how that's going to happen. But it could tighten things up. So the, it, it's not going to make Red Bull – I think Red Bull's still going to ultimately be the fastest car on the grid. But it might, it might tighten up the differences a little bit. It's possible. But one thing you might see is like it's possible that a team like Renault falls off a little bit because Renault had, for example, the most visually creative – exhaust system on their car and that might have come with a, a pretty aggressive version of engine mapping so they might they might suffer more so it could be that it does affect some teams more than others but it might not be red bull yeah you know so uh, there's this and going back to your point about you know the more things change the more things stay the same the thing that makes it really difficult when you have especially the mid-season rule changes is the biggest teams tend to be fast because they have the money to spend, create a, the best people, so on and so forth, but they can also adapt the most quickly. Mm-hmm. They have the most backup plans. They have the most resources to throw people on a project to lose as little as possible from this. After, as soon as they started to hear rumors that this might happen, they had teams figuring out what exactly. to do if they didn't already just have exactly. that in the back pocket. Right. Yeah. Because a top team could have 100 more engineers than a bottom team easily, right? Although, so. in, in this case, um, the bottom teams are less likely to have exhaust blown diffusers. So Correct. it could relatively help them out by giving, taking what slight advantage Red Bull may, get, may gain from this. But as we're saying, it's probably not enough to matter. So, yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see. Is it going to change my predictions for next weekend? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I think we'll 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 talk about that soon enough. But yeah, so we'll, uh, I'm I was excited a little bit uh, about the Silverstone rule change, but since they gave us this kind of like teaser rule change in Valencia and seeing the result of that teaser rule change, I'm <clears throat> a little less excited about the potential for shaking things up in Silverstone. But. We're going to watch the race. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. We're going to watch the race. We're going to eat some fish and chips. It's going to be brilliant. I mean, just because this was a boring one, we're not, uh, we're not that fair weather to just stop watching the season. The season is not dead to us, you could say, <laughs> like I think it is for some out there. Um, so, you know, of course, we, we just two, uh, two weeks, and then we've got Silverstone, and then, uh, you know, some, some, I think it's summer break after that, or we've got one more before. No, there's another That's one August. before summer break. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I suppose. <laughs> there and there lies the dramatic conclusion to the Valencia podcast coverage. There's there's no dramatic conclusion to to come to. Listener feedback, then. Yeah, let's 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 hear from let's the fans. Good news, everybody. Listener feedback on the F1 show has a pulse. We are alive and kicking once again. We've got a heartbeat of five comments, which is sweet. So big shout out to Bernard A, Tony Bird, Bellissimo, Craig Wilson, and Jay Pansar. Panzer? I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce that one. Um, Bernard uh, was thanking us for the podcast and saying it was hilarious. You're welcome. And uh, we had some guesses on the trivia from Tony Bird. 
and so on and so forth. Um, Craig uh, Riley said that on the Facebook pay- on the F1 page on the F1 show page that we should comment more on the Facebook posts. Thanks, um, and then we'll uh, we'll go on from there. So uh, good to see a couple of comments on the F1 show, but clearly Facebook is still the place to be. Yeah. And especially with the the crazy race in Montreal, I mean, it was a perfect time for everyone to kind of head to their computers during the red flags period yeah. and all that. So Facebook was was blowing up for the last race. Um, and actually, uh, Tim Meekins <laughs> called us out for it on Twitter. Uh, he says, oh, he won't be able to tweet during the race. He's like, I know I'm worse than the F1 show. So I don't know what he's trying to say, but... Uh, you know, in this case, it wasn't even our fault because we didn't have race coverage live. Uh, the Fox aired it at noon, and we watched it soon after. So uh, there's only so much an American F1 fan can do with some of these early European races. I mean, even if we wanted to wake up and watch it live, we couldn't do it. So what are you going to do? We can't tweet live during the race if we're not watching it and uh, and, and just spoil what happens. And, and Although well, in this Valencia, case, it wouldn't have mattered. Valencia, I was going to say, so one race we could probably get Man, away with it. Maybe we should just we follow just this one tweet, on Twitter next tweet year. Tweet every 10 minutes. Oh, look at uh, look at Vettel go still. Yeah. You know, we probably pretty accurately tweet that one. That's right. But but as you say, yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of good conversation going on Facebook. Uh, anyone that is a fan of ours can post on the wall, and people can you know send each other links and 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 like comments and and everything like that. So uh, if you're not a part of that, you should head to f1show.com. You can see all the res- all the uh, all the episodes there. You can you can play any old ones. You can comment on the post right there. But there's also links to Twitter and of course Facebook. And we are closing in on a thousand fans on Facebook, which makes us very happy. And uh, if if you have any friends that are not fans, fans of the F1 show, they should be, and they should uh, click the like button on there. Um, and also, every once in a while, we get the question asked where someone doesn't use iTunes for some reason or other. They say, oh, I wish you did an, F- an RSS feed. Uh, we do an RSS feed. It is actually very simple. It is just f1show.com slash podcast. If you That's amazing. punch that into any you know podcast client on Android phones or, or Linux machines or Windows or whatever you want to do. If you don't like iTunes, just punch that in, f1show.com slash podcast, and you can uh, hear our lovely shows every week. Um, speaking of comments on the Facebook page, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Lori Jordan, um, who uh, quoted the best line of the race is, I can't go any slower, which was from our best, most quotable driver, Lewis Hamilton, saying that he can't go any slower after his team calmly radioed him to say, your rear tires are a little hot. And um, ironically enough, as Colin Sato pointed out in a comment to Laurie Jordan, that that was followed up in a few laps later with, I can't go any faster. (laughs) We need to get the lap times out. (laughs) So uh, Lewis Hampton uh, couldn't win. But uh, as Jim said, the Facebook page was uh, very active. And again, you guys have a lot of interesting things to say. You pull comments from pretty, you know, pretty vastly different sources, which is really helpful for us. Like I personally tend to um, uh, draw myself by trying to end up towards Autosport most of the time. That's where it's kind of my go-to spot for news. And a lot of you guys use the BBC. Some people have, um, uh, what's that other one? Like uh, F1 something dot something, whatever, that one. That one. <laughs> and uh, so that's cool. We also, we had a fun... A uh, very apropos um, link. Uh, I, I can't see it now at the moment. Uh, from, uh, I think it was, it was from WTF1.com, I think. Dot co dot UK. Sean yes, Scanlon. There, Sean Scanlon, there it was, um, uh, where they surmised it with 
uh, with the uh, comic book store owner from The Simpsons. Uh, worst race ever. And quite apropos, uh, I, we, it's, it just isn't that entertaining. Even with durs, curs, and turs, and ers, and sirs. And I mean, there's just... They, there's, they threw all the acronyms they could find at it, and it still was a snorer. And it was fast. So, it was only an hour and 38 minutes, 39 minutes. It was still boring. Yeah. Uh, Will Carver, actually, on the F1 page says, you know, we should just do Japan twice. Yeah, uh, you know, instead of well, instead of going to Spain twice, well, they've got two sort of too, is, you Alonso know, Spain, loving races. Spain gets you know two tracks. Both of Spain's tracks aren't that good. Again, there's got to be an exciting track in Spain, right? Well, there's a race. There's a there's a racetrack in Portugal, isn't there? Estoril. Yep. There's uh, there's the Dutch GP for a while. What about the South African GP? Like there's. There are tracks out there. Yeah, I mean, exactly. even like Watkins Glen. Uh, we Watkins didn't really talk Glen about that much, but there was other, that yeah. the, the seat swap between uh, Tony Stewart and Lewis Hamilton, and you know Hamilton drove a NASCAR stock car. Tony Stewart drove uh, Hamilton's 07 McLaren, and which oh, looks so eight. nice. It was 08 McLaren. Was it his 08? Yeah, because it said. Well, they said their world, his world championship winning McLaren. So would be yeah, right. but it had the. Uh, the the front the, the double front wing with the, the up and over the nose and all this stuff too. Oh, it was yeah. just you know you. you we see these cars evolve year over year, but you look back at one from just a few years ago. It did have uh, – they were on wet tires, so it didn't matter, but it would have had this, the, the groove tires, not the slicks. But uh, I was like, man, what a, what a sweet-looking car. Oh, man, it had so much going on. Absolutely. And, and Hamilton seemed to have had a great time. Uh, just, you know, I think everyone does. A lot of these F1 drivers, uh, like Jensen, was just did the V8 supercar thing a while ago in, uh, in Australia but at, uh, with the Bathurst, right? But um, yes. they always say, oh, it's lots of power, and you slide it around, and they say there's no grip, but there's some grip, and it's kind of fun. So uh, that it, well, w- it was a, know, sort of a neat presentation. No grip, you know, of course, that's relative. I'm sure, you know, maybe you're pulling two Gs under braking instead of five, you know, but it's, it's, it's still very, very quick. I'm sure it's a very, you know, striking lap. It's just not F1 level. Um, we had one other comment on the Facebook page that I think is worth noting. It was from the F1 show, and it was about a blog um, that is, uh, by me. Uh, I started a column called the F1 show column, um, that started off as a WordPress blog, but very quickly Jim and I moved it. It, it now lives on the F1 show.com page where all the other stuff's going to happen. So I'm going to try to write, I'm, I'm going to promise nothing, but I'm going to try to write at least one between podcasts of just you know, my own opinions, my own takes on, you know, something going on in the F, uh, F1 world. Uh, the first one I wrote uh, about a week ago was about Jensen Button and why being a Jensen Button fan is good and good for you. So you can find that on F1show.com. You can also find it by going to F1showcolumn.com. That's kind of the direct link per se. But anyway, uh, check it out. It's my um, own version of being a columnist, I suppose you could say. Well, getting back into your auto journalism uh, from from a previous life. Yes, in a way. yes. Back to my roots, as it were. So anyway, hopefully it'll be enjoyable. Hopefully it'll be fun. Um, the uh, the WordPress uh, blog is it, it still exists, but it's it's we're not going to use it anymore. We're going to use the f1show.com page, which is kind of what we wanted in the first place, but just to kind of get words up on the interweb somehow. That's how we started. So. Um, so something else for you guys to digest if you're hungry for a different media of F1 showness. Trivia. 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 Of course, that means it is trivia time, and we had a, a 
brilliant trivia question from last race in Montreal because Sebastian Vettel led every lap of the race until the last lap when he spun, allowed Jensen Button to come through and win the race. Which was wicked. Which was wicked, as as we talked about for like an hour and a half last show. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, but because it, it was wicked, because it was wicked for sure. Uh, and then the question was specifically was when was the last time someone led every lap of the race until the last and ended up not winning the race? And we had some good guesses uh, and people on Facebook. I think uh, a lot of people were thought back to the European Grand Prix of '05, which is the Nurburgring, where Kimi Räikkönen had that spectacular. Uh, he had, he flat spotted the tire and then ended up breaking his suspension like right after turn the vibrations one. Vibrations made yeah. the, sus- the suspension fail on the last lap going into turn one. Yeah. However, however, Nick Heidfeld led a lap of the race pre earlier in the race, uh, just under, under the pit strategy or you know pit cycles. So that does not count. And you actually have to go back to 1991 back at Canada. Yes. And in that case, it wasn't. Uh, weather at all or any kind of uh, you know wet track or anything like that. Uh, it was Nigel Mansell led the race every lap and on the last lap apparently slowed his car down so much in waving to his fans in celebration they actually stalled the engine and uh, Nelson BK ended up going through uh, and having an unlikely victory. Uh, that's not what happened, Jim. You are distorting the truth no, and you that, know it. That's what happened. It was a gearbox issue. Williams said so themselves. They had a gearbox failure. Just like Massa sometimes misses upshifts when Fernando Alonso's right behind him. Exactly. That it, sometimes it just happens. It just happens. That's The gearboxes are tricky, complicated things. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So we actually have some new developments in the trivia front, and I'll let you uh, discuss what those are. Yeah, so absolutely. We uh, Last uh, podcast, we said, hey, we are opening the trivia table to everyone. If you think you have a good trivia question, please share it with us via feedback at the F1 show email dot com. And oh, that, that's not really feedback at F1 show dot com is. The oh, email it's dot net. Anyway. Um, and Jay Houghton very kindly responded with a trivia question that we are going to use, which is. Mika Hakkinen won his first race in 1997 at Jerez in Spain. The question is, who gifted him the win? And he wants both names for the gift. So apparently, according to Jay Houghton, two people gifted him his first win in 1997 at Jerez in Spain. Thank you, Jay. Um, We will give the answer next time round. And of course... That means we are ready for another trivia question. If anyone else wants to share, I'm sure that Sean Scanlon or Paul Peard or Craig Wilson, you guys have lots to say. You guys are very smart individuals. F1 nuts. They probably know some really strange F1 stat that no one else does. And that's exactly what we're looking for. Yes. So please do send us an email at feedback at F1showits.com and uh, send us the question and the answer, and we will double-check it and then... Tell it to the world if we like it. So uh, it's super sweet. Everyone should do it because it's awesome. So after my uh, absolute thrashing last time, I was determined to do much better with predictions. And so, of course, I went bold Mm -hmm. and went Alonzo, Alonzo, pole and race win. That didn't quite happen. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't right. He 
Disappointed me in qualifying a little bit. I think he had more in the car. I think he kind of phoned it in a little bit. Qualified fourth, uh, giving three points to my total before we even got to the race. And then uh, did end up finishing the race second uh, for another point for me. Four points for me total. You, however, went the Red Bull route, which is the safe route, of course. Uh, Vettel on pole, Weber to win the race. Um, You were right about Vettel, wrong about Weber, giving you two points, but you did take the victory. And... At least for this race weekend, at least. But don't we I get, did don't I get be- one point or two points? Because I was right on with Vettel. You got only, two points. Only one point away with... Oh, because Weber was yeah, third. Yeah, Weber was third. You're Alonzo. Sucker. Oh, well. So anyway, two points for Jim, four that points for hard. me. But the statistical model, because Button finished sixth, was incorrect by five points. So we beat the statistical model this round by a point. And as a quick reminder, all the statistical model does is said whoever was on pole last time will be on pole again this time, and same with the race win. And, of course, it was Sebastian Vettel on pole, but button for the win last time out. And uh, so the statistical model, uh, over the course of the season, looking at the predictions tab on the F1 Show Facebook page, it's still uh, beating us uh, because... Vettel has been so consistently winning or coming second and being on pole position that the statistical model is just better at predicting what's going on. But I am behind that, and Robin is uh, with with his Hamilton uh, penalty. Yes. The situation there uh, got lots of points, and he's not been able to recover from that yet. Not just yet. It will happen. Just wait till you know Vettel spins a rod bearing or something, and then you know crashes and it hits Weber's ear, and then. You know, Hamilton's bus gets hit on the way there, and he has a broken toe. And my boy Button's going to take it, and I'm going to predict that. And it's going to be all up ons, and I'm going to win this thing. That's going to be crazy when that happens. It is totally going to be crazy, and well, I will predict all of it. Well, as as it happens, I mean, we did predictions in 09 when it was Jensen Button, Braun GP dominance. And it was up to... The uh, just before the British Grand Prix, when it was like, okay, he's won, he's come second, he's won, he's won, he's won, whatever. It right. was, it was mm-hmm. boring. We started p- uh, predicting who was going to come thirteenth, and then it was the British Grand Prix where like the, everything went crazy and the temperatures were different and they couldn't get the tires it, right. And, right. And, and it, and, it opened right. up. Is history so going to repeat itself? That's that's the question. It's crazy question. And the answer is no. <laughs> there do seem to be differences here. Although it is Britain, things can happen. It is a much more inter- interesting circuit. We shall see. Um, you get to start. It's dude. You can't you can't go wrong with Sebastian Vettel. It is the lame way. It is safe. It is what the statistical model says. But the worst weekend you could have is one point because he's on pole, but then he comes second so far this year, statistically speaking. Yes, yes. But the times he was not Weber pinched him for pole. Okay, once. two points. But then he came back to – I don't know. The worst you could do is two points. I mean, that that isn't guaranteed to happen in the future, but it's it seems likely. Are you following the Vettel-Vettel statistical yeah, I'm, model? Yeah, I'm on the Vettel-Vettel train. All right. You are on the Vettel-Vettel train. So it is going to be up to me for the second time in a row. you got to go bold. To break to, the mold. Because I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm ahead of you right now, so I don't want to go risky. You've got to break the mold I, I here. See, I've got, I've got less to lose, more to gain is what you're saying. Yes. Well, the name that keeps creeping into my mind is going to be revealed right after this commercial break. Just kidding. Lewis Hamilton. Ooh. Hamilton, 
Oh boy, I don't know about pole position though. That you know was... what happened last time you predicted Hamilton? No, it's, no, that's great. Go with it. It's, it'll be good. <laughs> All right, I am. I I I don't. Oh boy, pole position though. That one's tough. I've got Hamilton Hamilton right now, but I'm looking at that pole position. I'm going. Oh. But it's going to be cooler temperatures. The Vettel, the, the Red Bulls won't work right. The diffusers will be all screwed up. They'll be like fourth You're just and goading me into this. Look at you. I don't know. You're a gamer. You should be on the professional poker players tournament thing. Except I am no good at poker. Well, okay. Fair enough. No, I'm going to stick with it. It's already written. Hamilton, Hamilton? Yeah. There it wow. is. Wow. That's bold. I don't think he's going to be on pole, though. <laughs> Shouldn't you go with a person you think is going to be on yes, pole? Yes, that's... Kind of what a prediction is. Oh, okay. All right. Vettel Hamilton. There you go. All right. There it is. So if Vettel is out in Q1, then points for everybody. Yeah, well, yeah. Except every- that one guy who predicts Weber Weber every race. No yeah, exactly. What. Then it's going to come, come sweet for them. So there it is. Wow. That was pretty quick, actually, that time around. So normally, this is the point in time where we say, okay, well, I'm Jim Lau and I'm Robin Warner, and then I say something stupid, and that's the end of the show, and you hear your music. <laughs> that's kind of how it goes. <laughs> that's how it goes. Not today. Because uh, I've been a busy beaver, as it were, <laughs> and uh, I've put together a little uh, store, web store, uh, selling T-shirts for racing and automotive enthusiasts. The name of the store is called Warner Motorsports, and it has a URL location of warnermotorsports.com, and there you can buy automotive shirts that are cool. At least I think so, because I designed them and created them, or whatever. No, they are cool. Like, as a As an... No, I wouldn't say disconnected. I mean, I'm part of the podcast and all that. But as a third party, yes. as someone who's not you, yes. I think they're cool. neutral, independent opinion. Yes. But two of the products that are on this new store are F1 Show products. There's an F1 Show t-shirt and F1 Show stickers. So it's something to check out. I, I wouldn't be able to review that product impartially because I am part of the F1 Show. But what I can say is that the the shirts are sweet. And actually, race proven. Uh, I have one, and I wore it to the Montreal Grand Prix last yes. year. Yes. And as it, does your wife. It, yes, and uh, it performed flawlessly the whole <laughs> the whole race. It stayed on. Yes. Um, yes, it, I worked really hard on that. It looked really good. There was some serious wind tunnel testing. Yeah. Some blow off. I mean, there were lots of cars going around yep. on a track near yep. me, and the the shirt just did its job, and uh, and it was great. So uh, I I. Seriously, though, it's a it's a good way to, to help support the show. Uh, we've actually been, we're in our fifth year of recording the podcast, and we don't make any money from this. And uh, you know, we've except got, for our huge sponsor deals and endorsements. Yeah. Speaking of which, Other doesn't a Coca Cola sound just great right <laughs> yeah. now? I could just go for a refreshing taste. No, we don't make any money. We don't make any money. So if you like the show and want to sort of support it, um, there's you can get F1 Show uh, the the T-shirt, which is obviously a, a cool way to do it and 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 look great, and it's a race proven technology. Yes. Um, and there's the stickers as well um, to just you know represent uh, on your computer or your car or whatever you like. So uh, you know, visit it's WarnerMotorsports.com. W A R N E R motorsports.com and uh, we'll have a link to it on the website and go check it out so with that i guess you are jim lau i sure am and you are robin warner (laughs) all righty then go to the store and buy stuff (laughs) do it